Hi, I'm your host, Kimberly Thomas-Tigg, and you're listening to Signalize, a Dazzle for Rare podcast. Whether you're a patient, advocate, caregiver, or a clinician, Signalize is your source for good news, personal stories, events, and the things that Rare and Associated Communities care about. Follow Signalize and Dazzle for Rare at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, R-A-R-E, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where we'll post episode links, updates, and more. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle for a podcast. In today's episode, we lightly touch on the subject of grief and the loss of a child. Some parts of this discussion may be distressing for some listeners. We have a growing back catalog of episodes, and I would encourage you to listen to one of those today if you feel that this episode may trigger feelings of grief, sadness, or hopelessness. There's a lot of great information contained in today's episode, but please come back to it at a later time if you're feeling this isn't the right time for you to hear this content. If you are experiencing these feelings, please reach out to your general practitioner, mental health professional, or you can contact the Samaritans in the UK at 116-123, or in the United States, you can dial 988 for mental health support. Please know that you're not alone in what you may be feeling, and there are people ready now to listen. Now for today's episode. Today, I'm happy and excited to be joined by Daniel DeFabio, who is here to talk to us today about a few things. So I won't spend too much time gabbing, as I tend to do, and I'm going to let Daniel tell us a little bit about himself. Hi, thanks so much for having me on. I got thrust into the world of rare disease when my son was born in 2008. Actually, a year later, we knew he had a rare disease. We had signs and indications along the way, but he had Menke syndrome. There's a cruel irony there that, I mean, no rare, all rare disease is kind of cruel in a way, but he spent the first 10 days in a hospital. And with Menke's, unlike so many rare diseases, there's a treatment but it needs to be administered in the first 10 days. And despite being in the right place at the right time with the right specialists, nobody knew Mankey's and thought to look at that time. It was a year later that we got a diagnosis, and we still did try that treatment, but um, it, it may have had no little or no effect at that point. But I went on to tell his story in different ways, blog posts, articles, and eventually make a film, a documentary about Mankey's with my son Lucas and two other boys. It's almost always boys that have minkies. And that led to trying to figure out where to show films like that. So I started with Bo Bigelow, another rare disease dad, Disorder the Rare Disease Film Festival. And we did two years of that. And then a pandemic hit us and gathering in a movie theater with people that might be the most vulnerable people didn't seem like a good idea anymore. So we created a streaming channel that you can add to your Roku or Fire TV devices called the Disorder Channel. So we've collected over 200 films and videos that tell the stories of people living with rare diseases. And I think it gives me a bit of a perspective on not just what those stories are, but how they can be told perhaps most effectively. I'm glad that you said that because when I was looking through sort of some information about the disorder um, channel and also sort of the content, one of the things that leapt out to me was sort of your interest in storytelling. So you just talked about sort of telling that story sort of through the lens of your experience as a parent and with your son. And also you've been telling a lot of other stories or helping to tell some more stories. So when I think about that, I think, what are some of the most effective ways that 
listeners, um, folks like David Ross, for instance, how they might go about really crafting the best version of their story and helping to share that with other people. There's good news, bad news. All rare disease stories, almost by definition, are going to be interesting and you know, rare tends to mean unique. So you do have a unique, compelling story to tell. And in the mainstream, you are unique, right? But among the rare stories, you become less unique. We have this in common, even though the symptoms may be different, the lifestyle is very similar. So I always encourage people, in addition to what you think is the inherent uniqueness of your story, you may literally be one in a million, right? Let's look for a unique way to tell a story. It's often combining your regular life with your life as a patient. So what makes you as a person passionate in addition to what are your medical challenges, right? So, so many times now I see, maybe because I encourage this approach, but I see people tell their story in film with interconnected, here's what I do as a soccer athlete and here's what I go through as a patient, or here's what I go as a person who cosplays fairies for children, you know, and and here's what my medical situation is. So it's it's not just person as patient, it's a whole person story. I think that helps. But also you could take that to filmmaking techniques, right? Do you want to shoot some stuff in black and white? Do you want to shoot some stuff in slow motion? Do you want to have some stuff be animated? Or do you want to tell this whole thing from the story of a child, the perspective of a child? And does that mean the camera is at child height? Does that mean maybe you're representing a visual impairment? So the edges of your frame are fuzzy? Um, all kinds of stuff like that. One of the best rare disease documentaries I've seen, we have it on the Disorder Channel, it's called I Am Archie. And I really... It's beautifully photographed. I think the filmmaker, the dad, is a is a professional photographer. So there's that. But the approach is to let only the child speak. No one is interviewed. No adults speak. And he, Archie, tells his story. And it's he's about six years old. And it's heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time. And I think that, if you follow the logic, is the taking up the – it can't be uh, – about us without us approach, right? This is pure Archie for the length of the film. So I really recommend people check that one out. There's so much to choose from, I must say, from what you do have online or what you have on the channel. And I, I recognized earlier today that it's also on Fire Stick because for some reason I kept focusing on Roku. And I understand that Roku might be a little bit easier for folks to get access to in terms of putting on content, but I'm glad to see it's also available on Fire Stick. Drawing back to the variety of what you have, the variety of stories that you're able to share with folks, I mean, it seems like a huge undertaking. So it's already quite an undertaking to be brought into this world of rare disease and to not only have an experience as a person, but also experience other people's experience. So it's very deep and very emotional and you make connections with people and it becomes like this larger family and you get you can become very invested in their stories. Some people say, right, well, I'm very invested and I really love folks, but I'm not going to take that extra step and go to the extent of creating a content platform specifically for these stories. So really, what were the combination of factors that helped you to 
decide to make that leap because it's it's maybe not the first step everyone would take and it seems like it's it's a lot of energy and it must take a lot of resources to do that's definitely true and i think we can all fall victim to looking at um someone's end point and that seems to have a lot of barriers to entry it's more important to look at someone's entry point so my entry point was as simple as a blog post and that was the beginning of my storytelling about my son and Menke's syndrome. And at that point, I didn't know why I was telling the story. I didn't know if it was for me just to get it out of my system. It turned out part of the answer was putting the story out there helped me find other people. I didn't necessarily know that would happen. When I got a little bit of feedback and validation, I realized, okay, it wasn't just me ranting and venting. It was providing some value to the next person. And I think that's important for people to know if they're maybe a little less comfortable sharing their personal lives and their personal stories, or they may have that same sort of doubt that I had as to, is it valuable? It's a Brene Brown line, I think it says, um, when you share how you got through your struggle, it will become the next person's survival guide. So if you have any doubt, if you provide no other value, you provide that much value, right? And that's huge. So I think for people that are feeling maybe intimidated or they don't have the time or the resources, there are very small steps you can take. One of them is to be a guest on a podcast. When I started, I sound like an old man, I probably am. Uh, when I started in rare disease in 2015 or so, I only knew of three podcasts and my partner, Bo Bigelow, had one of the three three that dealt with rare disease. Now, if you go to our website, we have a list of 45 podcasts that deal with rare disease. And most of those are, like yours, in interview format. That means they're looking for a guest a week or however often they put out a podcast. 45 podcasts looking for a guest a week. You might have a good chance of telling your story on one of those. So uh, there are steps that are easier than others. Writing a blog, I think, is easier than certainly shooting a film. But we, the Disorder Channel, together with, I work at Global Genes, uh, with Global Genes, we produce a series of workshops to teach people how to make these films. So we can maybe take away some of that intimidation. It can be done if you have a recent phone. Most of those phones have great cameras with great video capabilities. So it can be done on a very do-it-yourself, low-budget way. But I do recognize, even if you bring the budget down to closer to zero, there's still the demands of, do you have the time? You're busy taking care of yourself or your child. You know, how much time do you have to go making films? But there may be other avenues, and we, we address some of those. Like, you could find a local film student who's interested in looking for a project, and you've got a compelling story, and all of a sudden, their light bulb goes off, like, oh, this is a great documentary. I think that entryway in for, for both sides is really important because, you know, sometimes we think, or I might think, or someone else listening might think, like, I, I have a story to tell, but will I be able to tell it in the best way? And of course, we are the best people to tell our own stories, but we think, will I get the point across? Will I be compelling or will I be boring? Um, and then on the other side of that, there are content creators who don't know they need your idea. They don't know that they need you for that piece of really heartfelt content that not only gives them a driving force to be passionate about their art, but also gives someone a voice that they didn't previously have. And I'm I'm willing to bet that that happens quite often. 
Um, I haven't actually had a chance to see uh, David Ross's uh, short film that he recently that was recently came out and is on the platform. But I'm willing to guess it was that's a similar situation when you engage with other folks and you are able to share your passions and your stories together. Um, so I, I could see kind of leading from there in terms of passions for storytelling that you've done, as you said, the blog and you've done um, the Once Upon a Gene TV. What are some other ways that you've been able to not only tell your son's story and your family's story, but other places that you have maybe shared the, the wisdom that you're sharing now? And I guess just tell us more about where else you are, because I'm, I'm, I personally am fascinated about the story. Yeah, I, I think it's a progression. You know, I think if you want it to, one thing can lead to the other. And that's why I mentioned I wrote the first piece and I was surprised because people won't know about you till you tell them about you. And when they do, there may be other opportunities to come, come your way. Somebody, it's happened to me two or three times, somebody has read a blog post of mine and said, would you come on my podcast and discuss this topic? Um, so you don't quite know what opportunities might be available until you've taken some steps, some sort of public steps. So um, I'll try to find it for you. There's an article that says, um, basically, the more you put yourself out there, the more you increase your luck. And luck is, in this context, really opportunity. You know, there's that other expression that says um, luck is preparation plus opportunity, right? So you have to do the preparation. You have to get yourself somewhat ready. And once you do that, other things will come your way and you can choose to do them or not do them. So one example of that is the reason we created the film festival, Bo and I, is partly because we exhausted the places where we could show films like ours. You do a traditional film festival circuit, and after two years, they don't want to see your film anymore because you're old news. And then we tried medical conferences, and that had an appeal too, but there's a barrier to entry there, meaning they tend to be expensive. And if they're not taking place in your city, how are you going to get to them? So we looked at creating a new model, which was somewhat between a mainstream general public film festival and a dedicated medical conference that would have more of the audience that cares about rare disease and sort of try to aim to split down the middle where we could curate both the content of the films and a little bit curate who is in the audience because we didn't want to also just preach to the converted, the patient advocates that already believe all these messages, even though it's still comforting to hear them and, and hear other examples of them. But having sort of flipped the model or, or reinvented the model had this other unintended consequence where we have found so many other avenues to show these films. So we started from a place of there aren't enough places to show our film, we'll create a new one. And then having created a new one, brought enough attention to these films, not just our own. Bo has one, I have one. Um, we've made some for others, and we've certainly collected other films that we've had really no role in other than being a curator. Now, certain conferences, industry events will have heard of us, turn to us and say, can you provide us with some films? We've done that for Global Genes. Um, we've done that for a few industry, you know, pharma companies and things like that. So who knew we were flipping the entire equation where we used to go knock on their doors and say, would you please show our film? And now they come to us and say, do you have any films we can show? Once you take the first step, 
you're on the you're on the journey. So you've created your own opportunity there and really demonstrated through the doing of the action just what it means to people and how important it is and why that this is also content that should be in these venues. And it's really interesting to think about, you know, the screening of these pieces of content like in conferences i haven't been to a conference in donkey's years as we say in the uk so (laughs) so i don't know what that means i'm american but i in a long time i i haven't been to a conference in a long time but it it seems to me that that would be a great venue and it, it also seems like with a lot of these ideas like why didn't anyone think of this before so you you kind of have been pioneering this way of distributing this information so it's interesting the inspirational steps of just doing it you know, as Richard Branson says, screw it, just do it, you know, just jump in with both feet. And it's probably terrifying. I mean, was it was it kind of nerve wracking for you and Bo to get started? Oh, absolutely. In the beginning, we thought we didn't know how many films were out there, you know, and we thought, well, we have our two and we have about five friends that we know have films. And we'll start with that. And then we opened, you know, a lot of film festivals use a submission system online. Ours is called Film Freeway. It's pretty popular. And uh, the floodgates opened and in came the films. We couldn't believe it. And they were a range of very much do-it-yourself, you know, shaky camera in the home to somebody paid for a film crew to come in. And you can see there's lights and microphones and cameras moving on tracks and all the sort of Hollywood-level stuff. And you can tell, too, by looking at the credits. Um you know, if there's three names in the credits, that's probably a very do-it-yourself effort. And if there's a hundred names in the credits, somebody had a budget. I also say that to anyone who's aspiring to make a film. Look at all those names on a Hollywood film, all those names at the end of a film. Each of them had a job that was worth paying for. If you don't have that kind of budget, you still have to do almost all of those jobs. It's just going to be fewer people doing them. And that can be intimidating of course, but it's also useful. Like as you're planning your film, oh, did I think about lighting? Did I think about sound? Did I think about craft services? What's that? That's feeding people. You know, people need to eat while they make movies. Any job on that list, you would do well to think about, can I do it? Can I do without it? Do I have somebody to do it? You know, again, in our workshops, we try to talk through how to keep that very manageable. And what's the lowest lift version of making your film? Because if it's intimidating, you won't do it. That's very true. I, I think that's kind of the approach I had about podcasting or finding you know different ways to share the stories that I really care about and the people that I've met over the last 10 years now. And so it is intimidating. I, I thought, well, I don't have the equipment. <laughs> and then I got the equipment. And then my excuse was, well, okay, I don't know how to edit sound. And then a sound producer who works with other friends of mine just fell into my lap and was willing to take a lot on and be very helpful. It kind of has gone from there. And so now it's almost like a new religion when you find a way to get your message across that is really good for you, that feels great in your heart and in your soul. You, It's like you want to go preach, not just to the choir anymore. You want to tell the whole congregation. You're like, everybody, this is now a way to get your message across. I was telling someone the other day, I said, go be on all the podcasts. Everybody has a story and there's so many ways to deliver your story. One thing that we kind of talked about briefly before recording was about even more commercial films and sort of looking at how folks are portrayed in films. 
And so I did want to dig into that just a little bit, because one of the things I noticed on the Once Upon a Gene uh, TV is you talked about WandaVision. As I was listening to you guys talking about it, I was thinking, oh my God, yes. Like, how did I like not pick (laughs) up that sense of grief? And so that's just one amazing aspect of the storytelling. But I'd love to hear other stories that you've seen that have really captured topics relevant to rare disease communities well you've opened the door to my geek heart when you talk about marvel movies um wandavision in particular because uh as a kid the scarlet witch and vision relationship was a favorite of mine and then um i don't know if if marvel's creative uh writers had all this in mind before pandemic but with pandemic the world started to grieve whether they knew it or not they could grieve little things like uh, we can't go outside as much or we can't gather in public like we used to and they could grieve big things like somebody i know died because of covid um so grief was on all of our minds and here come these marvel movies where because of Endgame, half the um half the world was destroyed in a snap. So from that, logically, there would be the survivors dealing with a lot of grief. And you see Captain America hosting a grief counseling session in one of the Avengers movies. And then you see WandaVision, where it's grief writ large with superpowers, because she has the ability to take denial to this uh, superpowered level and recreate her reality so that she doesn't have to deal with her grief. And it's heart-wrenching probably for anyone, but for me, we lost my son Lucas in June of 2020. So I was grieving, and along comes WandaVision with these stories of grief that were, and of course, the beautiful, beautiful line that so many people have commented on, and I hope the screenwriter won awards for um, when Vision says, what is grief but love enduring? And, you know, if if you hadn't thought of it that way before, it's a big comfort. It's It feels very true. I can agree with you on that one. When, I, when you recapped that line in the episode of Once Upon a Gene, that elicited a few tears on my side. <laughs> it's, it's a hard one. And it's, um, you know, that is one topic that, you know, is transformative to all of us in some way. Um, rare disease or not, but most very much in rare disease. There's the grief of losing someone that you love. There's the grief of a lot of folks losing their mobility or losing uh, aspects of themselves, feeling like the death of of a part of their life. So, I mean, it's one of those things that is such a transformative and powerful human experience. And I, as much as it's hard to, for me to consume content related to grief, like I, I really empathized with a lot of what you were all saying in that particular episode. So I'm sure that if, if other folks haven't seen it, I, I will post a link in the description for folks, but it, I would definitely say, check it out. Now, going forward with that expression of love in your heart for your son, and also I'm imagining you've come to really love folks in rare disease too, whether you ever thought you would or not, whether you thought that you would meet the people that you've met. What are some things that you're looking to in the future with with rare disease or with the work that you're doing? Depending on when your episode debuts, you may be the first to uh, share this news with people. We're adding a show on the Disorder Channel I'm pretty proud of. Um, 
you can imagine most of what we have is documentaries and they tend to be serious and a bit sad. And even if they end on a note of hope, which most of them do because they're working towards treatments and cures and a better future, but people might expect justifiably that a lot of our content is heavy documentaries. So we always look for the exception to that. We have some stuff that's animated or puppets. Um, we have some stuff that's fictional, but still accurate to the rare disease experience. And now we're adding a show called pain points and it's a, almost like a late night comedy as the daily show would be, or Trevor, no Trevor Noah or John Oliver or Samantha B's shows are where they would rant on the political news of the day. We rant on the pain points that rare disease patients face on a regular basis. Maybe they're not understood. So I do a few minutes at the top and then a guest comes in and they do, we don't, it's not an interview where we're talking to each other. We're each sort of monologuing, but, I think we've managed a format that intersperses either the learning with the laughter or the laughter with the learning. So we'll, we'll be debuting that in a couple of weeks for Festivus. If you know um, Festivus, the, the celebration of airing of grievances. So we're going to start airing our grievances and hopefully uh, people can get a laugh with us. And sometimes I like to say laughter is the second best medicine. So what's the first best medicine? Medicine. <laughs> oh, hey, I, I respect that. I've, I've got a lot of respect for that answer. But yes, laughter, I, 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 I'm, I'll agree with that. That does come in a close second. How many episodes have you recorded? Do you have a, a format pretty well uh, cemented in right now? Yeah, we have three ready to go. And this week, we might get two more done. So we're going to launch with four. And um, we'll figure out if we're going to keep them going, you know, weekly or biweekly after that. But it's it's been a fun project. I think it will resonate with a lot of people. And for so many of us, I think we have we have to go from this feeling of being so alone, and then oh, somebody else gets it. And then sometimes there's this dark humor moment where we like only we get why it could also be funny in in amidst of all the you know, pain and troubles. So that's kind of what we're going for. That kind of maybe cathartic release of, yeah, we can laugh at some of this stuff, but also it becomes a palatable way to share it um, with the, your friends that don't have this experience. Right. Cause that's what we're doing. We're saying we wish people understood this and people don't seem to understand this. And if you give it to them with a spoonful of sugar, that is hopefully comedy, then maybe it's not so, bad to drop on your friend who's been less supportive thus far, right? And say, here's a here's another way for you into my world, right? And we use a line in there and we say, we're not complaining, we're just explaining. Because it could be seen as us complaining. That's such a common topic too, is folks, you know, will we'll talk about the reality of their situation. And reality is not always fun. A lot of times it's not, and it has not been the last several years with the pandemic. And so some people will be talking about what they know to be true for their lives. And people will say, oh, you know, you're just having a whinge about it, you know, la, la, la. And it's like, you know, but we talk about what's going on in our lives and we talk about what is real to us. However, 
If we can put that in a much more entertaining light and have a laugh about it, that would be amazing. So I am definitely looking forward to this because some of the funniest people I know are also, you know, affected by rare conditions. And I'm asking now a personal question than this, but... um, So, for instance, I live in England, and we have some of the best dark comedy, I feel like, that exists. Um, And and Black Adder and Rowan Atkinson is perhaps, in my opinion, one of the best. Um, Are there any dark comedies, just just from a media standpoint, just, just from your own personal experience, any comedies or dark comedies that are keeping you sane these days? I love dark comedies, too, and I can't think of any that I've seen recently. I wonder if Severance on Apple TV, if that counts as a dark comedy, it's pretty twisted. I'm not sure how comic it is, but that was, a that was sort of a breakthrough show that was seemed like, um, a very new idea or a, a, at least a new take on it's sci-fi ish, but it's, it's not, it's just a different reality, you know, a different model of reality. And if, if people don't know the concept, it's, can you, can you really separate two lives? You have your work life. It's a work life balance thing, right? You have your work life and your enjoyable life. And how far can you separate those two? And what are the implications if you take that too far? And I, I wonder if it appealed to me because we, as caregivers or pe- patients with rare disease themselves, it can become too much of our identity, right? Um, you can get lost in it. And and that's part of the pushback. Like, don't call me a patient. I'm a person, right? But um, the need to step away somewhat completely. Um, a, a therapist, a friend of mine has a show on the Disorder Channel called um, It's Rose Reef. And she has Taking Care with Rose Reef is the show. She says, um, you might think if you're the caregiver to a child with rare disease that going into the other room and closing the door and putting on headphones and reading a book is a break. It is somewhat of a break, but you need more of a break, which is leave the building, be in a different building from your child. If this is your time for a break, you need a real separation kind of break. And you should probably turn your phone off if you can, but I, I, I know people can't. Um, so that tying it into severance, if, if you watch severance, is the illogical extension of how much can we separate ourselves from one part of our life to the next. I, I haven't seen the series yet, but I did see Stephen Colbert did a bit with, I think, the cast of the show. Um, and of course, I can't think of any of their names because brain fog. I, I, I'm lucky to know my cat's name or my name. But um, he did a, a really funny segment about sort of giving a gist of what the show is about. I about fell out of the chair. So I'm I'm feeling like now is probably that time to just make the leap, turn on the telly, watch the show. It looks it did look hilarious. It looked fantastic. Before we go, I do like to kind of ask folks, what are they grateful for right now? What are some things that are really cheering you up or resonating with you or just keeping you going? Are there people you want to shout out? Just it's your floor to just feel all the love and the vibes. Well, I have to shout out to Effie Parks because you've mentioned, it's nice of you to mention so often the Once Upon a Gene TV version. Her podcast existed before and it's excellent on its own without us, but she was nice enough to suggest we create a TV version and let Bo and I co-host it with her. So that's fantastic. But what gives me hope is, is people in the rare space so many people doing so much good work, whether it's you with your podcast, Effie with hers, but also the people that are, 
you know, raising lots of funds and trying to move the research forward and find the cures. And it's a weird thing to say, but there's never been a better time to have a rare disease. There's no good time, but we are in a cultural moment or a, an evolution of the science moment that is very promising. You know, I think as each year goes by, so many new methods, uh, whether they're gene therapies, gene replacements, uh, you know, small molecules, all the different treatment methodologies are getting a little bit more feasible from a financial model for the businesses, but they're also getting de-risked by the patient populations doing a little bit more of the prep work, whether that's gathering up the patients, the patient data, the patient biosamples, all those pieces are coming together faster and better in part because of social networks and, you know, the internet lets us connect to each other and find each other. And um, so there's a lot of reason for optimism that still can feel, even though I see it as sort of a, fa a quickening pace of progress, it's not quickening enough for the people who have life limiting prognoses. So I, I get that, but I hear reasons for optimism all the time. It's just, we always want it faster. It's, you know, it can't come soon enough when it's, when it's affecting you and your family and your loved ones. Yeah. I will definitely second that. Um, in terms of gratitude, I, I'm I'm grateful for all of us who are still here to enjoy these moments, and I'm grateful for my life. I'm I'm very grateful for that, and I'm grateful for having you on today to talk about the topics that we've just covered. So, uh, for any funny folks out there, or if there is a particularly funny person in your life, they should get in touch with you. So, um, you're on Instagram. You're on the social medias. I did realize when I went to to check you out on Twitter to see like if I could message you, I couldn't. So what are really sort of the best ways to get in touch with you if folks do want to explore their comedic side with rare disease or want to talk to you about some other things we've talked about? Yeah, you can check out thedisorderchannel.com or rarediseasefilmfestival.com and I'm Daniel at rarediseasefilmfestival.com or the social media that you mentioned works too. I'd love to hear from people. I would too, because I really want to see like some folks start working on their comedy chops and 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 start really getting out there and um, you know sharing some of the funnier sides of things. Because I think, you know, as you're saying earlier, it, it is kind of the second best medicine. But I think a lot of times people feel like it's not appropriate. Like, is now the time to make a joke about that? But you're right. Sometimes there are moments that we collectively share that have a, a side to them where you could see where it could be funny. And, it, and it's darkly funny. I'm really glad that you came on today. And I hope that uh, if we have a topic of relevance or interest to you, that you'll come back again sometime in the future, because I've enjoyed this chat. And I feel like there's about a million other things we could probably talk about, some of which may involve comic books. Um, I was definitely much more of a Marvel girl than a DC, so just say it. All right, but thank you so much, Daniel. I really appreciate you coming on today. Absolutely. It was a pleasure, and I'd be happy to come back for any topics you think I can speak to. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Signalize, a Dazzle for Air podcast. To stay up to date on the podcast and Dazzle for Air, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at D-A-Z-Z-L-E, the number four, rare, R-A-R-E. And finally, if you liked this episode, share it with a friend and tag us on social media platforms.